What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me as always, as always, as always, as always, is Daniel Terry. I got stuck in a loop there. I think my internet disconnected in my brain. How are you doing? There you go. I'm doing all right, man. I'm uh, chilling out here in my creepy basement, uh, screaming at Amazon Prime about stuff. I mean, it's it's been a very exciting day over here at the Terry household. I mean, you're an important podcaster. It's too, uh, too busy to hold this microphone. You need a stand. I need a stand, man. And I'm super. I, yeah, I, I I went all in. I went in. I went in hot on that one. I was like, listen, man. I've got these people. They want to be interviewed. I got to interview them. I got to get in there. And you're not letting me get in there. <laughs> just ignore. Just just ignore the fact that you know I'm totally just doing a thing now without a mic stand or even the microphone. But like, dude, seriously, I gotta I gotta show this off. Okay, this thing is my pride and joy. It comes in its own little carrying case. And, um, oh my god, oh my god. And of course, this is more for the people that are watching more so than the people that are listening, but, um... This guy right here, I would just feel weird holding this microphone. I mean, a lot of vocalists who have those microphones, that's like, what, Lord Zed from Power Rangers? That's what you have, the Lord Zed microphone? Just like that, the Lord Zed microphone, yep. Mm-hmm. If only I could do the Lord Zed voice. Did anybody ever ever wish that Lord Zed was in a metal band? I don't know. I feel like Rita Repulsa was in, like, a, was in like Moonspell or something. Yeah, I could see that. Or Cradle of Filth, that, that makes the most sense, I think. <laughs> Yeah. So needless to say, Dan uh, has been having some issues uh, getting his microphone stand for his pride and joy. Um, this episode's guest is Christian Machado. Yeah, this episode with Christian, though, we uh, recorded this, Jesus, I think, like, June? <laughs> that was a long time ago. I remember, wasn't he standing outside for, like, the whole thing? No, that was for the stream, the live stream. That was which, the live stream, that's right, you're right. Which right, right, we'll yeah. probably end up posting the audio of to coincide with this, because why not? It's another hour and a half long conversation with Christian, basically. Totally. But it was one of those things where Christian and I have been talking about having him come on the show. You know, obviously after doing the Alfonso episode, uh, I think we kind of came onto his radar. And was a thing where, just kind of waiting for a few things to fall into place, um... You know, obviously with the Il Nino split and all of that kind of stuff, it uh, kind of got a little hard uh, to kind of try to do a show where you're in the midst of a legal uh, battle. So uh, we held yeah. off, and then basically the uh, solo EP was kind of getting ready to drop. He dropped a couple of singles, so we talked about that. At the time of when we were recording this, though, uh, there was no release date for the record. Um, so it kind of, if you wonder why we're not talking about specifics about the records, because there, there weren't any at the time. Uh, that's how long ago this was. This was like right. right in the midst of things shutting down pandemic wise and, and people kind of being like, well, we're going to push it back maybe a month and see how everything pans out. And then obviously here we are all these months later and we know that everything didn't just go back to normal a month later. So um it's kind of why it's a little weird uh, when we don't necessarily talk about the record. Um, this was a lot of fun, though. It, it was a pretty loose conversation. And I remembered when I was done going back, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to cut so much out of it because people are probably going to be like, dude, what the fuck? Why are they talking about X, Y, or Z? And right. uh, then I went back and listened to it. And I was like, actually, maybe other than like five minutes just to kind of create a little flow going, I don't really think there's much to cut out. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought it went pretty smoothly. I mean, I got to admit, whenever I turned it on, because of course I got the raw version, right? So I got like the the full uh, hour and 27 minutes or one hour and 47 minutes or something of it. And like 10 of it is just John talking about, you know, getting his hair done by his wife, um, which, you know, is totally stuff that I like hearing, but I don't know if the listeners do, but uh, I thought it flowed really, really well, to be honest. And um, 
I'm not just saying that. Like, I like the more conversational tone of it and how you guys just got into it. Like, after a point, like, there were no questions being asked anymore. It was just a, it was just a, like, a fly on a wall kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Sometimes those kind of things happen. And, and as such, it's like, you know, I even think I made the illusion to, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to like this because of how all over we kind of go with it. But we we find our ways back into kind of talking about the record uh, that he's put out, which is out now as of when you're hearing this, um, which I don't think we have named, talked about the name of the record. It is uh, Hollywood E. Sycamore. Uh, again, that is out on September 25th. So basically uh, this upcoming Friday as of when you're hearing this. So. But it was just kind of interesting because it's like, you know, I like listening to like Doc Hoyle in the last like probably two months of his show have been like two hours roughly with all these different people. And there's never really a moment where I'm like, yeah, that could have gotten could have gotten taken out. Uh, I just don't feel that way. I find everything to be interesting. And it was kind of weird. Maybe it's because I had listened to two X-Men episodes back to back where I was like, man, those are really cool. And they were like almost two hours and I didn't hate it. And I guess it's kind of the thing is like, you know, with this podcast, when we started it, that's kind of where it was. It was like a, a really long form chat. And then we just started getting into these condensed like 15, 25 minute interviews. And that's kind of what we've been doing a lot of lately. But it has been kind of nice to go back to not having a time limit to do any of these and just kind of let a natural conversation happen and then kind of if need be whittle out the good like basically to a really tight solid you know whole conversation yeah yeah i know it was cool and i like a lot of the different directions you guys went in and like i, I love whenever he was talking about like not uh like, like you know it's, it's really 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 hard whenever you're younger and all you want to listen to is metal and stuff and uh like i get it because like i you know like you john i do tend to listen to more general music as well but because everything that i do professionally uh is rooted in metal it's really hard to not uh i don't know it's hard to pull yourself away from that you know absolutely well speaking of uh pulling ourselves away let's get into my conversation with christian machado and we will talk to you on the other side of it So the pleasure of talking to Christian Machado, whose latest single, Die Alone, is out now off his upcoming solo album EP, not entirely sure yet, on Chesky Records. Uh, how are you doing today? Good, brother. Good. I'm doing great, man. Finally uh, excited to finally get to talk with you. And, you know, given the nature given the nature of the podcast, at least I got a couple of rehearsals before we got on here. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, I always make the joke and I always feel bad because I realized when I made the comment on your thing, like foiled by coil, they're like, oh, you know, it, it's cool. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's just, it, it's a joke I have because a lot of times, like, you know, he put out his uh, Ernie C from Body Count episode and I was like, fuck, man, like, I thought I kind of was like the only one on that tip right now. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, we're putting ours out as of when we're recording this, like in another like next week, but it was just like one of those where it's like, ah, oh, you know, no one's really got, you know, talking to Ernie, probably in light of this pandemic and body count kind of being pretty low key uh, when it comes to press, really. 
And so I thought it was all good. And then Doc put out his episode and then like they were just chopping it up. And I was like, fuck, man, like Ernie loves talking, which is great. But like he they got to some of the same stories. And I was like, fuck, man, like now if people listen to Doc's show like I mean, like I do or some of these other podcasts. Foiled, foiled by foiled by coil is a great like that's just like a great branding thing. I know. And that's that's been my like unofficial hashtag that I'm like, dude, you should uh, other podcasters should get on that. But it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, man, it always sucks because like I, I hold Doc in very high regard as far as you know how he does his show just the intellect that he has as a person uh he's very knowledgeable on a lot of different things and what he's able to kind of pull out of people that he talks to yourself included like those some of those osbest stories i thought were were pretty funny and i was like i can't can't believe you guys are going here but i'm all for it man this is fun hey you know it's not gonna get me in trouble now no i mean statute of limitations (laughs) and all (laughs) but um but no i mean you know i know you wanted to get to dig deep a little bit and you know, because of the nature of everything that went down, you know, I had to sign the NDA, but I got a little bit of practice as far as how we can discuss and get deep on some things without me, like, you know, talking negatively or something, which is not something I really want to do. So something, you know, I don't really know, like, so this, you and I kind of came into each other's radar through our mutual friend of Alfonso from Heartsick. Um, you, I, I would assume based on him and him texting me, uh, Ended up here in the chat we did um, about kind of the the him being at the epicenter of like this whole thing that you went through over the last year or so um, professionally and personally as well because there's there's some stuff personally that happened and if I think you've been pretty vocal about a lot of it online um, but I don't want to necessarily you know say all your your air your dirty laundry or anything but what's been interesting to me is in listening to these songs you know especially in song titles I feel like a lot of the things you've been going through are kind of reflected in the songs is that a safe assumption or have these songs been around longer than that even no for sure I mean these the the originals were written you know within the last year year and a half definitely after every Everything started, um, at least for me personally, feeling like it was starting to all fall apart, you know. And um, it, it was it, it was definitely a dark place in my life, man. Not not that I I never really took it um, too personally. Like I, I tried not to take it too personally. I, I, I knew and why I felt the way I felt, but um, but I think creatively speaking being able to write some music allowed me to not sink into some deep depression you know talking with friends that really the support that i got on this project from like some close friends and and the label and, and just through relationships even like you and i bullshitting on you know commenting on each other's stuff laughing about things um that really kind of you know allowed me the the courage to kind of write some songs you know and not be either scared or intimidated to talk about things but you know i obviously when you're a songwriter you don't want to like give away exact stories and things like that but um but it's they're all man the originals are all personal songs i I don't know how else to do it you know other times in in the band when i had tried okay well you know let me try to write songs that aren't so much about me let me write about topics you know and then i don't know I always felt that when I did that, sure, the songs are great and everything, but um, I always like coming from just a very genuine songwriting effort, you know? Even in the bands I listen to, I like really genuine bands that don't necessarily speak about people and maybe exact situations, but they definitely are talking about their feelings. And there's there's a reason why they're in music, you know? They're, in, they're doing music like the Deftones, 
a group like the Deftones, like the Bad Brains, you know, so many hardcore bands, um, even artists like City and Color, Corey Taylor, you know, <laughs> these are the people that are really, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it because they have something to say. Right. They, they, they personally have to not just get something out, you know, but they, they want to share uh, their feelings with the world. And I, I look up to people like that for sure, artistically. It's funny you say that. One of the questions I have for you is, to me, the few songs that you had sent over harkens me back to one of my favorite City and Color records, which is Sometimes, uh, in the fact that it's very raw and emotional and, and feels almost like a, a diary, like a, an audio diary. Uh, of the, yeah. You know, for him in that record, it's just a lot of being on the road and not being around for friends, family, lovers, whatever. And it just kind of has this very morose melancholy to it with a little touch of like, but things are going to be okay, I think. I don't know. And there's a lot of that to me in this record, uh, or at least in the few tracks you sent over. There's a lot of self-reflection, um, which is interesting because that you, I don't always feel like you get that a lot in music. You don't get the inward and kind of working your way through your problems. It's usually like, well, someone kind of fucked me over or da-da-da. It's kind of a little bit like outward projecting, not so much inward. And I thought that was kind of interesting yeah. about about these songs is – I feel like as you're listening to it, you can literally hear you working through things in the song. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it definitely helped me, man. You know, um, a, a lot of the times I would find myself writing songs and not even really knowing what I was about to write, but just really instinctually like sitting in my backyard. Uh, you know, I'm lucky to live in California and Temecula in a place where it's warm, where year round. I could go outside with a guitar and sit out there. Um, and I think instinctively the, the lyrics for sure were, were driven by a lot of the situations that I have been going through. Definitely, you know, the, the family separation I went through, uh, the, the nightmare with that that I had to deal with, um, you know, the band separation that I had to deal with. Musically, I think I've always liked sad music. Even though, even though I'm, you know, I'm 50% a clown and I like to be sarcastic and joke and, you know, laugh. I think that that's just a good, you know, balance. I don't know. To me, it offers a balance. But, but I've always liked my music extremely dark. Even the bands that I was like, you know, I look up to these artists, they're dark artists, you know. They're, they're not like necessarily writing happy music. Even City and Color, when they write songs in a major key, man, he's really delivering on the emotion. You know, and 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 he's without a doubt one of the greatest storytellers, as far as like I, I don't know what to call it, alternative singer songwriter music, but he he's he's one of the greatest storytellers, man. Somebody that could that could touch anyone, regardless of what kind of music they listen to. I think what's wild about him is the way he's able to, I don't know, like just some of the like guitar runs he does with things, and then finding a almost counter melody to that vocally. You're just like. Jesus Christ, man! Like, and it's like, yeah, and, and yeah, to me, like, I'm just like, how the fuck do you how, like me trying to play those songs? Sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's a little tricky. Like some of the string skipping that you're doing to kind of get these little runs and shit. But then to try to sing over that and stay in key and play everything, you're just like, fuck that, man. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's a, he's an an uh, absolutely amazing guitar player as well. At least acoustically, he comes across you know very very detailed and you know clean and all the notes are nice and particular 
definitely a much better guitar player than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you are familiar with his other band, Alexis on Fire, right? Yes, of okay, course, right. of course. There yeah, have been yeah, a few yeah. people who are like, I don't know this other band. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're good. your mind's going to be blown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, he's, you know, he's, an, I think, I don't know, I think rock and maybe metal and punk lends to this kind of like really dark acoustic vibe that maybe, maybe you uh, take in by osmosis when you get older. You know, I don't know, it, it, it maybe, maybe rock and metal the feeling and, and the darkness behind it behind it comes from something that's you know that simple but um i almost feel like it's because a lot of you and sorry to cut you off a little bit there um is you know i i feel like so many touring people uh, especially in the rock metal community are so diverse with like their their music selections like i know a great example like you know when i was talking to willie adler a little bit ago uh you know we were talking about hip-hop for a hot minute and you know he was like you know we kind of approach things kind of like a hip-hop way like kind of like fuck it man like we just you know we're gonna do our fucking thing and so on and so forth and just kind of have that attitude and you know i know a lot of people like mark from lamb of god you know like there is a song that he brought out a couple of records ago it was acoustic and it was kind of like sort of that lamb of god style on acoustic and you're just like this is interesting but i think yeah it had it had an intro on it yeah. right that was acoustic yeah Yo, that song was so badass and too. then but it's a thing where you know you're you're hearing a lot of people because of podcasts like you know people that are into like you know in extreme metal bands or whatever where it's like yeah you know we're on the road and, and we're listening to the doobie brothers or we're listening to johnny cash and you're kind of going it kind of de-evolves back to singer songwriters people who are out on the road and, and telling their stories and things that are identifiable regardless of what you're doing but is a common experience of missing people you know being out away from people friends family whatever due to unnatural circumstances whether because of work or whatever and i think at the end of the day it's like yeah you can love you know six feet under or cannibal corpse or whatever and just these wild crazy ass stories that aren't fucking true or based on the most absurd things but at the end of the day it's like that's only fun for a little bit and then you kind of need something with substance and i think that's why everyone comes back to maybe the music that they didn't fucking like when they were a kid like i fucking hated rod stewart growing up as a kid and then as i got older i was like dude rod stewart is the shit i fucking love rod stewart and man you know what's fucking crazy that when I was a kid, I loved Rod Stewart, and now that I'm older, I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like backwards. Well, no, I do. I do still. I'm still fond of a couple of the tracks that he did with Jeff Beck. Yeah, you know, I mean, some of that stuff really was like, whoa, okay, it was early on, and that's kind of interesting. But, um, but you know, when I got older into my metalhead phase, you know, and now in my like twenties, I was like, no, 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 metal. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's really funny, actually. I uh, side tangent that new weekend song. The first time I heard it, I was like, "Why does it sound like the Young Turks like uh, synthesizer line, the melody line before well, it in the chorus on the new the light song?" Yeah, that yeah, lights. that weekend song where the almost kind of reminds me of Young Turks by Rod Stewart. Yeah. Oh wow, you're right. And I was like, I don't think a lot of people would make that correlation. <laughs> wow, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now that I think about it. It's like in my head, yeah. It's not the same. It's like Josta says, yours is, ours is, and it's like it's similar enough that you can hear it. I forgot what what yeah, but the synth line, it is similar. Wow, that's amazing. I can't believe you pulled that apart. Oh dude, I, I, usually, I ruin everything I usually for my call wife. Things, <laughs> I usually call things out like that. I usually do also for people, you know. It doesn't ruin it for me, but then I feel bad after I do it. 
Because then I'm like, oh, God, did I just ruin it for them, telling them it's from another song? Well, the other one, too, is when you notice little production tricks in the background. Like, uh, something that drove me nuts, because I don't know why it's there. It makes no fucking sense to me. And there's no payoff for it, is on uh, Sorry by Justin Bieber. My wife listens to a lot of, like, Top 40 radio. And there's a part in the second verse where there's just a random scream. Like it's like like the uh his verse the line might go like na 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 and then like a couple beats and then it's ah and then he like and you're just like what the fuck is that and I pointed it out to her once she goes I never I never noticed it and I'd heard it for months and then you pointed that out and that's all I fucking hear when I hear that song now and I'm like I I don't know why it's there I it happens to me with music sometimes for sure even with songs that I love. If I listen to them, like, let's say if I'm used to listening to some songs in the car stereo and then one day I put the headphones on and I'm listening to it on headphones and then, you know, you wind up hearing this thing you didn't hear in the car stereo. Or if you have it through like a Bluetooth speaker, you might hear this other thing that you didn't hear in the headphones, you know, and I think that's kind of what makes music production interesting for sure. Um, Being a little bit eccentric, trying a little bit of different things on my new album, it was really you know, a very simplistic way of doing things, you know, after like 15 years of, well, not 15, <laughs> but about 10 years of, you know, the constant just individual tracking, punching in, there's people editing and all that. I, I think I got a little bit tired of it, at least for one record. I wanted to, it felt good to just go back to something a little bit more, um, a little bit more raw. You know, there's like no punching in on the album. There's a few, a few of the parts were punched in but not not uh nothing edited you know well what's kind of interesting about that is and you had talked about it a little, little bit on doc's podcast is you know about the recording process how very minimalistic it was and that it was more of a collaborative effort i'll say as far as actually recording kind of together a one take full band experience other than you know some of the as you're saying some of the punchings you were doing but you know I feel like recording now has become a very, no pun intended, a very isolating experience uh, due to the Mm -hmm. fact that it seems that everyone just goes in, bangs out their parts, and typically you're not around the rest of your band when you're recording. So how did you find, you know, after years and years of that kind of newer process, having actually gone all the way back to when El Nino probably first started, where there was more probably live in the room recording processes in place because you didn't have the money to just, you know, be able to take your time with it individually and go through it track by track. But how did you find this process kind of going back to the way music started as far as being a recording endeavor it was for me personally it was extremely challenging you know it's not something that i was used to um and it's something that was um put forth by the label you know i mean the label chesky records they're an audiophile label so all their recordings are very high quality very high sample rate but they use minimalistic miking techniques which require the group and the band members to all be in one room playing together um but it was really them that you know put forth the idea of you know hey how about we do an album in this manner uh if it would have been up to me i might have multi-tracked it and done things and it it probably wouldn't come out as genuine it might have sounded a little bit too overproduced you know i don't think i would have wanted to do that with acoustic tracks um but it, it you know, it was an idea that Jeff at the, at the label really uh, made me feel comfortable about. And um, they've been using it for many, many years with artists like Macy Gray and um, McCoy Tyner. And, you know, they they also I, I think they distribute Miles Davis albums. But with the artists that they record, they use a very minimalistic, simple way of recording. 
Um, I think the high sample rate recording that they use allows the audio tracks to record a little bit better and therefore maybe sound a little bigger. I don't know. Um, I didn't do too much comparing back and forth with like my acoustic songs and other stuff, but people are saying it sounds very big and warm and you know it might it might have had something to do with that with the high sample rate you know the uh the placement of the mics everybody all the sounds going through only two or three mics i think kind of forces this analog feel you know even though we didn't record the tape one of the cool things is this the studio we were at the bunker had the same neve board that was at water music when we recorded confessions so yeah, so that was a pretty badass thing. And I remember I remember walking into the, the, the control room and saying, oh, look, it's massive Neve. Yeah, we've done records on, I did records on Neves before. They had one at Water Music. And the assistant engineer stopped me for a second and was like, this is the same board that was in Water Music. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I don't know if you remember, you remember the, the floods that, that occurred with the hurricane in Hoboken, New Jersey? Because Water Music was in Hobo, is in Hoboken. But that board was underwater and it had to be completely you know refurbished or whatever it is they do but i guess when you have a three hundred thousand dollar board you save it if it goes in the water you know you don't just throw it away it's funny i was listening to uh, a podcast and I, I wish i could remember what it was but they were kind of talking about just how things aren't built to last anymore like you know you're sure. talking about like the neve console and it was underwater and submerged and it's like i can think of things that I had back in the day where it's like you bought it once and like you didn't have to fucking change it like hardly ever like even yeah. going back to like I, I'm thinking of like all my dad's audio gear for like you know his turntable his like back when people would literally buy components for their you know uh their sound system basically between you know your just all your shit your receiver your tape decks your everything your equalizers it was almost like guitar gear where it's like here's my rack mounted system for my stereo system that's connected to everything i had a big stereo yeah. i had a big stereo <laughs> what did you have like a rack did you have like a rack like the amplifier the receiver my dad does that's, that's what i'm CD saying player? like my my dad's got one that's like super impressive and it's old but it like i mean this thing at this point's like 30 something years old but it still works it sounds great and it's like now if i were to have probably bought all the things or the one thing that replaced all of those that thing probably would have shit out on me multiple times already and i would have probably reinvested more than he has invested the one time buying all this old gear and there's just kind of something interesting about that to me where it's like i don't i don't know what it is i don't know if it's just the fact that we we are so caught up in trends and whatever is the newest thing that people know that so they're not putting forth the time to build something that's going to last a while because fuck it in like 2 years it'll be obsolete and we'll have to make the new one so who cares like i just don't know i think i i think i think maybe like in the 80s in the early 80s, car manufacturers started making, American car manufacturers started like thinking that it was okay to make shitty cars and just sell them to people. And I think that somewhere around that time, capitalism kind of, you know, grew a pair of balls and was like, oh, fuck it. Well, we'll do it too. You know, and even with foods, it occurred in the 80s where they were making all, st they were putting things in food that would, that could probably kill you. Yeah. But during the 80s, they just let them do it. You know, people, businesses, legitimate businesses, corporations were getting away with things that, you know, would have been nowadays. We would look at them as like, whoa, wait a second. You got to go through a whole slew of regulation to make sure you could even, 
you know, have a component like that right. or have that ingredient in the food. But I remember in the 80s, maybe that, you know, car manufacturers trying to get over on people maybe led to other corporations thinking it was OK to make cheaper products. And I think we're starting to come back around the corner, though, where it feels like at least car manufacturers began making better cars and like the early 2000s, I want to say, where the, the car manufacturing started getting a little bit better. Um, and I know that with even technology, it went through a slump because like the iPhone 7 was like a piece of garbage. I mean, I had an iPhone 7. Literally, like the battery lasted me six months. After, after six months of having the phone, I couldn't even hold it for longer than an hour without having to charge it, I remember. And, you know, and during those times, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do any overspending, and I was like, well, well, I'll wait till the Verizon, I wait till the Verizon upgrade kicks in in a year. You know, I had to deal with a nightmare phone for like a year. Well, I mean, I think what's interesting about that is I feel like that correlates to the music industry. Honestly, I feel like, and I can't necessarily put my finger on it, but I've actually been really engrossed. You know, kind of speaking back to to stuff I grew up on, of trying to figure out why is the music of a certain era. We'll say it stops. We'll say it stops in the 80s, that around 88, 89, somehow music became less timeless. You don't see as many people going back to, I guess, grunge, maybe the last era of th things where it's like, you can still throw on Nevermind by Nirvana and, and it still holds up and it's still nostalgia attached to it, whatever you can play for people still holds up. People obviously still play Journey. People still play all the shit that's considered timeless and classic. What happened to music to where we don't have that anymore? Is it just been watered down and, and just sold as a, a cheap ass product because the next thing will come through? Are labels not investing in the artists? Are the artists not investing in themselves to or pushing themselves to create timeless music? Like, what is it? Because I find it hard to believe that in the last 20 some odd years, we just don't have artists that are going to be able to withstand another 30, 40, 50 years from beyond when the stuff is being pushed out originally. And it's, it's been an interesting thought. And I don't know why or where or how it happened. But and that's the only thing I can come up with is that music instead of being a full experience where you know, maybe you'd see someone on the cover of Rolling Stone and that held weight and, you know, you had to go buy a, a song and, you know, there were more radio stations that were playing all kinds of shit. So it wasn't necessarily just here's your top 40 pop radio and that's all you're hearing. It's here's a little bit of hip hop. Here's a little bit of, you know, you might hear Run DMC. You might hear Aerosmith. You might hear, you know, Rod Stewart. You might hear, you know, New or uh, not New Order. You might hear... uh you know, Depeche Mode, like you'd hear it just a, a melting pot of music. And I don't know yeah, if that's yeah, yeah. why everything is classic because there it was kind of genreless at back then and kind of has been. It was. And I don't so know if that's right. what happened is we so we we classified everything and put and pigeonholed it into all these subcategories within subcategories within subcategories that then it makes it to where everyone's like, well, I don't like this little that, thing here. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. this this thing over here, you know, and something else I kind of been thinking about too is like, you know, you were just saying like some places and some things would make shitty versions of something because they know they could get away with it. And I'm just kind of like, did it become a thing where it wasn't necessarily about a band, but it became about the product? So like, yo, I fuck with Toyota real hard. They make like my favorite car, so I'm only fucking with Toyota. In the same way that it's like from a certain era, it's like I only fuck with Roadrunner bands. Doesn't matter who it is, what it is. If Roadrunner puts it out, boom, I'm buying it. See that little red sticker on the bottom of the CD? I'm buying it. I don't care what it is because I I have a relationship with that brand into where things became about a brand and not about the individual. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely you make a great point. Definitely, I feel that pop culture at least was more genreless back in the day, you know, 
And I think that's that's mostly what you're referring to is that <clears throat> because niches will always exist, you know, uh, I mean, the, the punk, you know, the underground punk niche will always exist, no matter if there's pop punk being massive. Um, you know, if Metallica is massive, the underground death metal niche will always exist. There'll always be somewhat of a polarity in another in another world. But when it comes to pop culture, you're absolutely right. In the 60s and 70s, you would see a huge variety of artists, you know, from on radio, you might hear a Motown artist next to a Bruce Springsteen song, maybe next to a Ramon song, you know, I mean, there really was. But I think I think what you what, what you're saying that actually categorizing things too harshly does re- refer back to, you know, don't give humans too many choices or else <laughs> they start to become like. They start to become very narrow minded and they're like, no, I I don't like it all. You know, I like my things. Um, I I think we're starting. I I mean, at least now I see like young kids, like, for example, when I was a young metalhead, um, I liked all kinds of music. But my regular most of the day listening was metal. Um, I, I think. As I got older, it started going back to just a general variety of music. But I see kids now maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more open-minded than they were back then, at least in pop culture. I mean, the, the rising of Billie Eilish surely was fucking shocking to me, dude. You know, because I'm like, these kids, I don't get it because they're like, the, the songs that Billie Eilish is writing on her albums, erase the single. Erase the single, but the other songs on the album, the songs she's writing are so extremely dark, but people that like Justin Bieber also like that. It was shocking to me. It really was. You know, I thought people wanted, I thought young kids just wanted to like dance to like dance music or something. I had no idea they would open up their ears to like a young artist that really was just performing a very bare kind of music. But, but who knows where it'll go? It's all a guess. And you know how music is, a lot of fashion also interprets how people may view music and sometimes pop culture changes and subtle changes uh, will affect the music. Hopefully, heavy music will continue to grow and, and be more accepted in pop culture. I think that's definitely lacking. Um, I mean, you'll see like a Motorhead T-shirt at a Walmart, but nobody in the fucking Walmart really knows who Motorhead is. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's It's been interesting. Like, I I have been trying to steer this podcast into other territories other than rock and, and hardcore, because um, that's not all I'm into. Uh, it's funny, my co-host has another show um, that I think it would be interesting for you to do eventually uh, called Discography Discussion, where, you know, he go, they go through a band's discography and just kind of talk about it as fans. And, oh, that's cool. And that's fucking cool. A lot of times, and they've kind of done an offshoot now where they'll have, like, we we did a conversation offer with Brock and 36, where they just went through the beginning of 36 all the way to the last record and had Brock kind of tell the story. Um, and kind of, it's almost like an audio history, basically. Um, and that was another thing. I was like, oh, Christian probably would do great for that for Il Nino. Um, I love I loved Brock and 36 Crazy Fist, man. I love that band. Yeah, it turned into a really nice drunken evening. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, he could throw them down, you know. Those those dudes in Northwest up there could throw it down, dude. I mean, they're good people and, like, you know, very family-oriented, but they'll throw down the beers. There ain't no shame in that. Yeah. But it was uh, – it's kind of interesting, though, in thinking about it because, like, you know, a lot of times when I'm on his show, they do at the end of the thing, they're like, what's your album of the week? And every time I'm on the show, like, one like one day, like, the Carter's record had come on. I was like, dude, I'm banging the shit out of this Carter's record. And, uh, they're like, every time I'm on, it's never hardcore or, like, air metal. It's always, like, hip-hop or, like, something weird, quote-unquote weird. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I was talking to someone from Lambgoat uh, about the Dua Lipa record, and I was like, I, I wish I had an avenue to talk more about it because I think it's a great record. Um, may not be what people want to hear me talk about, but I think it's really great. But one of my like one of my favorite artists is Aaliyah. And do, oh wow, that's cool. Do you get do you you mostly do interviews with just like heavy rock bands? Yeah, right? you mostly just do the heavy rock bands, right? On that's cool. You know, we're we're a bunch of interesting folk. <laughs> you could say that. You might get bored. You might get bored like doing like pop interviews. You know, they might. The labels might be like, oh, you got to talk about the single. But and, I mean, you know. like, I've, I've been in that world doing this enough. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I've learned how to push the thing I'm supposed to, but make it interesting to me where it's not a typical interview either. But the thing. Yeah, no, people want that. People want that nowadays. So, dude, but it was, they, they want real conversation, real topics. It was kind of funny because, like, someone asked me a while ago because they're like, so I know, like, because they, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or on Facebook, uh, but someone was like, so I followed you because of the podcast. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, but it seems like you don't like rock or metal. Like, is this kind of a front? And I was like, no, but I like more than just this. And I was like, and they're like, because, you know, I, I didn't, I don't really like Aaliyah. And I kind of checked out her music thinking like I was missing something. And I was like, I go, see, for me, and kind of going back to like the production and there being more, I was like, the, the impact she had in her short time is so, it's still felt now. And I go, because she did a record with R. Kelly and it was very much that kind of new Jack Swing style of the early 90s that, you know, Teddy Riley and them were really making big and Pharrell and them before they were the quote unquote the Neptunes. But it was one of those things for me where it's like her second record, she was like, fuck that. I want to go against this. I want to kind of go more what's going to be current and hooked up with Missy Elliott and Timbaland and gave them one of their first big opportunities to do a, a record as the production team. And obviously Timbaland's one of the hugest fucking producers there is. And there was something, yeah. and same with Missy Elliott, there was something about the three of them that when they were doing stuff, it just, it was magic. And when they finally got to her last record, the shit that Timbaland was throwing on that record, you're just like, what the fuck? I mean, like, we've seen it now with Justin Timberlake with Nelly Furtado. We've seen, like, when he gets that artist that he's just able to throw weird shit at and they were able to fucking do it how amazing yeah, it yeah, is yeah. and how timeless those records are and on top of that you know it's like she was one of the last other than i could say whitney houston or janet jackson to transcend from the r&b world into pop and then even starting to cross over into mainstream movies and shit and becoming a true crossover person the only other person at this point we've seen do that is beyonce and lady gaga lady gaga's kind of yeah that's true trying to make similar transition from like pop she was a producer yes, first yes, so yes, that's, you're that's right. different yeah, she was writing tracks yeah yeah she was writing tracks for akon i think right i or think so i think she because i think she was on his uh convicted label for at the beginning but it's it's one of those like you know and i was telling this person this i was like i know a lot of people wouldn't go down this rabbit hole but it's like when you think of the impact that she has had on music long after she's been gone it's fucking wild to see like all the things that have kind of stem from her making her own career paths and choices and realizing like oh my god you were you were destined for so much great shit and we only got like a tip of it and it's like yeah, to me, that's yeah. that's the fucking like she transcended into the, the the metal world with queen of the damned she didn't do a metal song 
But I guarantee if enough time probably would have gone on and she would have done some stuff, I could see her fucking with something in that vein. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a tragic loss, man, for sure. And she was one of, she was one of the, uh, you know, one of the first, I, I think, crossover hip-hop, R&B solo female artists that were that that were like modernizing the genre for sure yeah man i mean and and a lot of you know believe it or not hip-hop influences metal a lot it's just that a lot of bands don't talk about it well i mean i think what you see code orange doing right now is very hip-hop influenced where they're doing events online events and then doing a merch line around it i mean you've been we've been seeing that in the hip-hop world for the last really in the last 10 years or so i would say between drake and and uh some of these other people kind of focusing on singles and then their mixtapes and kind of dropping a line around it as well so it's like an exclusive to that um code orange is the first really i've seen in the the hardcore metal world that's adopting that and fucking running with it um, are they doing shows that like every week or something like they're that? doing streams so they did the, the live show at the empty venue and then they had yeah, the merch. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty badass. Yeah, and then they had the the merch for that that show. I think for the tour, but then they've been doing like other random like things, but doing like a small like a, a pre order thing, so it's no money out of their pocket. Whatever they whatever gets bought is paid for. Um, but they're doing limited drops basically around these random events, and it's like no one's fucking doing that in the hardcore metal scene. They should. I mean, the only other people I'm seeing doing that in this scene, and and this kind of goes back to you're saying like the underground thing will kind of always generate and come back up, is I'm seeing like the the small unsigned like nationally touring bands, they do it. Like they hype up an EP or a single for like a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And then when they drop it, it's like, here's the merch line around this one thing. So it becomes about a full immersive experience. And that kind of goes back to, you know, what you were saying, and I didn't get a chance to, to finish my thought on that was, I think you're actually seeing people go back to albums like vinyl sales are, are huge right now. And I think it's because people want an actual experience when they listen to something, not just the single. Yeah. They might want a collectible or something just physical to be able to attach themselves to a little bit more for sure. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's interesting the way that music, musical products are, you know, have evolved because, you know, we went from, from vinyls and then there was you know (laughs) eight tracks which kind of existed and went away and then there was tapes and then the cd kind of threw threw all that in the garbage and it was just cds and then the mp3 kind of came in and destroyed the cd which was a slow process you know but definitely mp3s affected the music industry a lot i think now after you know the 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 loss of the physical product is, I guess, what, what kind of like we lost in the music industry is there isn't that much physical product. I've seen a lot of bands like do uh, niche collectibles. Like I think him had done like a church or like a lunchbox church, lunchbox church at one point or something. So it was a, it was a like tin. really deep collectible. It was a tin. Okay, okay, and okay. It came, yeah, 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 I bought that. <laughs> Was, yeah, 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 but I think a lot of artists are are doing things that resemble a keepsake, you know. And vinyls were more of that. People used to be very, you know, proud of their vinyl collections. And I imagine after we're going on almost what we're going to be going on two decades of the MP3 pretty soon here. I imagine maybe people are going to start getting tired of just everything. We we like everything being in our phones, but maybe your favorite things you still want a keepsake of that it could have something to do with that. You know, I remember when I was young, I collected vinyl and I felt like a fucking idiot when in the 90s, I pretty much gave away all my vinyl. Like I kept like very 
important things like my Metallica albums I still have, you know, a Slayer album I still have, like an Agnostic Front album I still have. Like I kept like things that I knew like, no, this I got to keep forever. But I got rid of a lot of really good albums, man. That I'm, I'm now I look at myself and I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Just because you like CDs, you got rid of something you thought it was going to be garbage forever. I remember walking the streets and seeing like vinyls of badass albums in, in New York, just on the street. Nobody wanted them thrown out. The garbage was supposed to pick them up. Punk rock kids used to go through them to freaking try to find the, the you know, the, uh, the gem in there. But, uh, but I think, I, 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 man, to, the philosophy behind what the fuck is a musical product <laughs> is, is is still we, we still you know I don't I don't know what it is I, I mean I don't know you would think eventually that audio audio uh, audio visual kind of things would start to evolve together um, you know I once around I, I once threw a concept around that I felt um, that all music releases should come out with Netflix uh, visual you know. Documentaries to back them up a little bit more. You know, if the big artists started doing things like that, it could definitely start guiding music to a more visual format, which perhaps would allow it more revenue as well. So, what's funny about that, and like I learned this a while ago, and I don't know that I've, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. Um, so in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, you got a lot of like enhanced CDs. You can put them on your computer. They might have something on it, a video, something like I remember. Right, right, uh, right. White Pony had a video game, had some behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, it was really cool. Probably, excuse me, one of my favorite uh, enhanced CDs of that era. But, you know, you started seeing the shift to DVDs, um, you know, the making of the album accompanying the, the CD. And what was interesting about that and what I found out, kind of speaking to the commercial uh, monetary value of it, is I learned that for every one of those that sold, that technically counted as two units sold. Oh, really? Because it's another disc. Now, the, inf oh. the information might be wrong, but I remember uh, a friend of mine had joined uh, the band that Dies Today, and they were talking about uh, how they were going to put out this bonus CD or DVD with the CD, and how basically that counted as two sales for every one record sold and then i started thinking back to all of the fucking extra albums where it's like oh here's your deluxe edition here's your one with the dvd here's your like all these things and i was like digipack remember oh yeah, yeah i have the revolution revolution in a digipack with all the extra bonus songs and the all that kind of stuff so yes i i loved and hated them because i loved them because they were easy to carry around and put in your your collection, but I fucking hated them because you ruined them so quickly because they don't. Yeah, have and they always spine. tried to make and they always tried to make the covers like fancy and stuff. It's yeah, it was definitely something that you wouldn't like want to lug around in like your backpack, you know. Well, I mean, that's why yeah, we're yeah, lugging yeah, around yeah, those totally. three hundred uh, CD booklet things with you <laughs> at all times. Man, remember the first MP3 players that came out? <sighs> they were garbage. <laughs> when, like when they when it was like the, all those little and there was like three hundred million of them in every store you would walk into. It was like think about how many companies made money think about how many millions were made from technology that people bought and threw away the next year oh like my dad's uh oh, fuck what the hell were those things called um uh, mini disc my dad has mini disc stuff okay I, I used to have a mini disc too yeah and i was like this is kind of cool but then it like it got replaced real quickly by the ipods like a year or two later yeah 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 because you know what the, it was almost like well let's try to make the technology smaller they were in that frame of mind we'll make it smaller make it smaller and i think that's that that's where it led that's where it led because people nowadays the world is so overpopulated i imagine 
having your house full of plastics maybe is not a smart idea. I get it, you know. Um, but technology has been minimizing and minimizing and minimizing, trying everything as small as possible. Eventually, they got to that where you could have millions of recordings in your phone. You don't even have to look at it. It doesn't even, it's not even visual anymore. It's just, you just got to hear it. Where before you would, you know, I remember having like stacks of CDs. Remember the CD tower stacks they used to sell back in the day? When was the last time you saw a CD tower stack being sold at a store? <laughs> Maybe DVD tower stacks, they still sell them. Some people still collect DVDs. I just repurposed mine for a shoe rack. <laughs> right on. Hey, man. Yeah, you can put magazines in there, too. Yeah. No, I... uh. No, it was kind of funny because as we were kind of going through this, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if you remember the first time you were able to put a video and or a link to your song on your website when like the Internet first was coming out and you were able to do that. If you remember how excited you were, but looking back on it now, you're like, God, this was gar. This is what I wanted people to see and hear is the first thing when they go to my site. I wouldn't even buy this if I heard and saw this. Right. It's like back in the day, you would go online to a website and if if, if they had like Windows Media a spinning, Player, <laughs> a spinning soccer ball. Yeah. If they had a spinning soccer ball, you'd be like, whoa, the soccer ball is spinning. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I remember I remember back in the day, the, the Roadrunner had set up the El Nino website and I remember it was a killer website, but very simple. There was nothing fancy about it, but it had a fan forum on the back end. So this was before social media, you know, technically before MySpace, even that band websites used to have fan forums. And I don't know, some old school fans will probably remember this. I'm sure the Slipknot fan forum was packed. All, I mean, they, they might still have it. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure a band like Slipknot maybe could still continue having like a massive fan forum. But um, but I remember it used to be super simple. And uh and then somebody made 40 Below Summer a website. It was like one of their friends made him a website and put like a spinning thing on the website. It was like the stupidest thing ever, but I was so freaking impressed by it. I was like, Roadrunner can't put no spinning things on our website. Bro. <laughs> uh, that'll, that's why you're not going to recoup your, your royalties there because you got to put a spinning thing on the website. Yep, yep, yep. That might cost a thousand bucks. You know, kind of going back a little bit to... Uh, you know, even back to the El Nino days, um, how have you found the transition of being able to bounce ideas, not having to really bounce ideas off of people as a collective and being the sole person responsible now for the visual representations of what is going into your art now? Is it freeing? Is it a little bit uh, stressful? Uh, all the above? Um, it's definitely freeing, man. You know, uh, and, and it's not that I don't like working with other people. I love chemistry, you know, like, anytime I meet another great musician, the first thing I want to do is like maybe write a song with them, you know, because I'm like, I want to learn what is it, what, what, what makes your creative mind tick. But, um, but it is, what I can say is this, it's a hundred times easier to make decisions. You don't have to like, Hey, do you like this? Hey, do you like this? Do you like, do you like this? Um, it's also a lot faster to make decisions because, because, when you don't have to ask multiple people if they like it, you don't have to wait for the response. So it doesn't take like a week to, for example, you know, okay, art on an album or something like that. Even even just what I call busy work, which I usually hate doing, you know, because I'm like, I just want to make music. I don't, you know, who cares about all this other stuff? But um, But for me, it felt freeing. It feels freeing for sure to be able to write a song and not have to second guess myself and not have to present it to anybody. Um, and to really, instead of, instead of using the time that it might've taken 
to second guess some things, to present it to other people, to think of how to present it to them, you know, to put energy into arguing why a part shouldn't change and, you know, why maybe the beat isn't right or it's not there yet. Just put that energy into making the song you're writing better, you know, instead of putting it into all this superficial stuff that really has more to do with conditioning and what people personally like. And it's not that anybody's wrong for liking their own personal things, but when you're in a band and, and you like your own personal things, it starts to become what you said earlier. Like, okay, well, I'm only going to like this and this then because you only like this and this, you know? So it starts to become a little bit of a tug of war for no particular reason other than, you know, everybody's trying to like feel like they have something to say. You know, or feel like, hey, I, I think I have something valid to put into this. But uh, it makes it easier. Does it make it more creative? I don't know. I imagine if you have somebody that really, really thinks like you on the same creative level, it would probably make it better, you know. But then you don't find yourself having to, like, you know, convince somebody like, no, this is good. Trust me, this is good, you know. But um, it's a little bit easier. I, I definitely can write songs a little bit quicker. Um, but, but I'm not going into this full overproduction kind of thing, even though some of the other songs, like you heard, most of the album has like a beat here and there, you know, and a rhythm and the, a little bit of drum comes in here and there, but it isn't like this overproduced kind of vibe about it. it. It was, it mainly came down to writing songs, making sure I was happy, making sure that what I was talking about felt really genuine to me. And, um, and then working with badass musicians, you know. I mean, I got to work with my good friend Conrado and Steve and Oscar, who played percussion on, you know, Nino also played percussion on the album. And then two amazing musicians from New York, Junior Cabrera, who played bass, and Ali Bello, who played violin. But it, it really just came down to, you know, just make smart decisions about the songs, make sure that the songs are really, really good. Um, I co-wrote one with one of the songs, Good Mother, with Steve and Conrado. And if I get to make another record, I hope to maybe co-write some more songs with them. This one turned out just the way it did, because it, it, it was just write some songs and, and see where it goes. But but um, it's freeing. I, I guess it's freeing, you know. I, I loved working the way we did things, and the people that were involved in the album were brought definitely brought it to the next level i mean i think if i would have done like the album on my own it would have just like been a guitar and me singing and not much more but because i had the opportunity to bring in a couple of other musicians that were friends you know i i hope that it brought it to to you know a new different kind of listening experience i have to say the welcome to the machine was was interesting and kind of made me want to hear more of the melding of those sounds uh you know with the use of the the slight kind of use of the keys i think adds a really interesting dynamic between the acoustic and the electronic and as i kind of was listening to it i was like oh i feel like this plays really well off of the song title because it it feels like if everything we'll say is more organic uh as far as just acoustic and, and natural instruments then you're incorporating electronics and so forth even in a somewhat minimalistic approach it still kind of blends kind of this organic and, and machine kind of vibe almost i kind of kept thinking in my head i was like it's almost like a terminator like you have the exoskeleton which is the human flesh and, and all that kind of stuff and it bleeds and all that but then underneath that is the the exoskeleton or the endoskeleton of the the machine part of it and it's like it works in perfect harmony and that's an interesting way of looking at it, man. You have a very like descriptive visual way of looking at some things. Unique, unique for sure. I feel like it uh 
either is way overwhelming when I'm trying to explain shit to people where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm thinking of these things. And they're like, yeah, sure. Okay. Like, sure. Terminators. I wouldn't have gotten Terminators from this song, but all right. Like, that's what you fucking got. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I, man, that song is probably one of, you know, one of my most, uh, endear, you know, endearing songs. Or I don't know. I, I, I can't say it's like my favorite song on the album, but yeah, I mean, you because can. I'm such a Pink Floyd fan. <laughs> Because I'm such a Pink Floyd fan, man, you know, it's like there was no way it wasn't going to be on the album. I, remember I had to, like, pitch it to the label a little extra hard, like, you know, no, no, no you don't understand. It's Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, um, man, yeah, I can't wait to play that one live. I don't know how people would react to it. You know, I'm still curious. I'm just curious to see how people would react to it. I might open the show with it because it's got such a long intro and such a, like a tense. I think it sets a vibe. Like vibe. Yeah. 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 It's definitely, as the kids say, a mood. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Man, I'm trying to get on the mood playlists, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see the, I'm going to see the EP. Like when I go buy a cup of Starbucks and they'll be like, there's your face like next to it. No, no, no. I don't want to, if they play through the speakers, it's fine, but I don't want my CD up there. <laughs> I don't want it visually seen. <laughs> you know, kind of something else, speaking a little bit to uh, more of the artwork and, and the songs and so forth, the, the visual for Die Alone was, you know, a very uh, raw visual of you kind of hunched over uh, naked. And it was very obvious. You posted on Facebook, uh, and I assume everywhere else, but I saw it on Facebook, uh, where you said, what do you see? You know, kind of a very... Uh, what are the the Rorschach tests? Um, you know, like yeah, do you yeah. see do you see you? Do you see the skull? Like you know, what do you see? And immediately my mind went to Dolly because it reminded me of that. And I don't remember what the the name of the painting is, um, but the women that are all together and it kind of looks like either a tub with a woman in it, or then you realize it's a mm-hmm. bunch of women. So then you kind of see that, but then as you kind of look at it again, you see a skull. So there's three different things you can kind of make out of it uh, based on whatever you're able to kind of articulate from the images and the, the shadows and everything. And it kind of made me wonder what other non-musical influences uh, are you maybe trying to incorporate into what you're doing with the presentation of uh, your solo stuff? Um, Man, I don't know. I've always been like a big Tool fan and a big fan of like their imagery. You know, I've never like like flashy stuff too much even though i understand you know i'm an artist and you know i'm gonna need to take a flashy press photo maybe once in a while you know or something but i've always liked really dark art i don't know why maybe because i do like to laugh and tell jokes you know this is how i kind of balance out my mind but um but it's just i mean that that piece of artwork just seemed like you know this this is something that definitely can make you feel like what the song sounds like. Yeah, it definitely I think that's feels... really the only thing, that's the only thing that really, really mattered at all. Does it look like what the song sounds like? A lot of artists don't care about that much more anymore. They'll just like, you know, put it together. But some some artists still do. They're, they're still very in tune with how the visual could uh, impact the person if they're listening to it and looking at a visual at the same time. But um, but for for the most part, I think... It comes down to really just making yourself happy, you know, and the things that you like, hopefully other people will like them, you know. Yeah, it was interesting when I looked at it again, kind of trying to take it all in in conjunction to what I'm listening to. And I was just like, oh, this is kind of interesting because it's, you know, obviously being naked, that's you at your most raw and vulnerable. And I feel like that's how the song feels. But then. Oh, no, but it's not. But that wasn't me, though. It's a, it's it's an actual model. And, oh, I thought you know, it was, was you. 
Man, no, I mean, I, I, I wish <laughs> I looked that cool. <laughs> I thought I wish I looked that cool. Fair enough. I guess I wasn't looking that uh, that closely, but uh... but it is it is like a Rorschach thing, like you said. It is exactly that, and it's funny. Depending on what you like personally, it it, it might you might see a skull. If you're a metalhead, you'll probably see a skull first or quicker than somebody who you know isn't used to seeing dark imagery. So it does make you learn about yourself a little bit, which is what I found interesting. Yeah, it was it was one, like I said, where it's like, you know, do you take the approach of being naked and, and alone to be vulnerable and raw like the, the song kind of is, or going more of a, an illusion, illusionary visual to it where it's like there's a skull and skulls, you know, kind of are often representative of death and dying. So it's like, you know, on both levels, it works for the song. And I thought that, to me, that was what I thought was interesting in the visual representation of the the artwork that accompanied the song was like how it was able to to apply to either however, whatever you saw, it still applies to the song. So it was one where it's obviously, I don't know if that much thought went into it other than, you know, oh, this is kind of a cool, interesting image. It's going to make people look at it. Probably will get people to maybe click on the link to listen to the song or what, because I mean, all these things are factors now as to how to get people to, to click on something and actually listen to the music. But then once you got them, is what you're seeing, does it apply to what you're listening to? Is there more a marriage of everything? So it's it's a full immersive experience or is it just kind of, I mean, because you can put some wild ass shit on a fucking album cover and it has nothing to do with the music and some bands sure. do that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it stands out more when it's able to, you know, like you said, with Tool, you know, I think a lot of bands and the great bands don't do anything without there being thought into it and what it means to the greater narrative of the whole. Yeah. Like Tool is known for working with great artists, you know, and even, for example, let's say on one particular album, let's say, you know, they hired an artist. They, I don't think Tool is the kind of band to try to control what an artist is doing, but they are the kind of band to listen to an artist that they admire. You know, I, I and I think that with with regard to the to the single cover, it had to do with you know a couple of us sitting around and just knowing that we admire each other's opinions and saying, oh, this is cool. And then that kind of was at least enough of a justification to say, okay, yeah, make it the single cover. This is this will work. It is partly that, you know, feeling like this will work, whether it's like, okay, this will work because people will click on it, or this will work because it'll draw people in visually, or this will work because it speaks about what the song is. Um, as long as it works, I think that's the most important <laughs> thing, man. Yeah, you know, because everything everything is extremely risky nowadays in the music business, man. Especially with everything that's going on with COVID, it it takes nuts to just like start release, releasing music around now, you know. So I know, like in this moment, put out an album, you know, and I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting them to actually release the album. But some some bands are still trying to like stay busy, you know. And I mean, by the time we got to to the covid closures we were already like planning an album release for like now in june june july maybe you know we had to push everything back a little bit but you know at least it allows us a little bit of time for visibility and stuff like that with uh with the single i think you know it's it's definitely one of the more simple songs on the album that's for sure yeah yeah i think it i don't know i always get it love getting into the uh like how do you choose what is going to be the first thing to represent either a new album or a new band or whatever. Uh, I think for, for you, it's probably interesting too, because there's what everyone assumes everyone knows you from 
but then there's this, which is not what you're known for. So it's kind of like, what do I put out as the first representation of this is my solo thing? Dude, do you know how hard it was to keep an electric <laughs> guitar off the album? Yeah. Do you know how hard it was to like be to like not be like I, I need an electric guitar in there? <laughs> it was you know it was tough because so many times it ran by my mind like should there be like an electric guitar solo or something? But you know it's I don't think it would have felt right. But um. But definitely, this is like the, you know, Drake says he flipped the switch. I mean, he really didn't. I, I really did flip the <laughs> switch, though. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, you know, I kind of joked with you uh, on Messenger the other day that, you know, I was going to ask you about being, you know, another generation's Max Caballera. I mean, he's still out there, and he is <laughs> Max Caballera for everybody. But, you know, I think when you guys came out, you know, and this is no disrespect to Max or what Soulfly was doing at the time, but, you know, Soulfly was kind of on a little bit of a of decline from where they started off, and then here you guys come shooting out the gates. And I feel like for a different generation, you know, who didn't necessarily grow up with Sepultura, that you kind of became the new face and voice for, you know, Latin American in metal and stuff like that. How... I've never really talked to anyone that's kind of been able to be that for for an entire, like, demographic and obviously it helps with the rest of the band also sharing in, in that as well. But how how was it kind of going through that where people are like, oh, you know, like you inspired me to, to want to be, you know, be bilingual in my music and, and not have to feel like I have to only speak, you know, English. So I, I appeal to a broader range of people and to embrace, you know, my roots and so forth, you know, no pun intended um, and all of that kind of stuff. Like, is it kind of intense to feel like you're kind of carrying the flag uh and the torch for for an entire kind of culture well the definitely it could feel like there's pressure and it, it you can feel intimidated by you know just having music out having fans expecting you to speak for them and stuff like that but underneath it all i think you have to make yourself happy as a musician first and be very well connected to your message you know and hopefully that that does connect with people. And then that way, if you find yourself in a situation where you, you have loving fans and stuff like that, you really just have to be you. You know, there's a lot of artists that, you know, have like crisis after they become famous or something because they're trying to portray something they may not be. But I, I think even though fashions changed with my band at the time, um, we were all kind of the same, you know? We were just like metalheads trying to try different things. And and the Latino thing was, you know, came out of inspiration from other artists. And in my head, I, I never saw myself as big as my idols, you know? And Max was one of my idols. So I, in my head, I was just like, you know, this guy just following in the footsteps, really. Um, but, you know, maybe some fans thought of it like, oh, you know, Christian is, you know, the Latin metal guy and maybe Max is the tribal metal guy. I don't know exactly, but I remember in my mind I was like, you know, I'm just here. I, I did have a hard time coping with the fame of it and stuff. And I think that I did a lot of things that were idiotic and, you know, obviously were my ways of dealing with how to not understand or accept certain things that came along with the lifestyle. But I was just following the footsteps of other people that I thought were badass, literally my idols, you know. Um whatever inspired me to 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 be a little bit more unique maybe the new york city culture did you know there's a lot of latin multicultural kind of blend in new york city it isn't just one country but you know latinos from all parts of the world central america south america the caribbean 
Um, there's even community, Portuguese communities, you know, and Spanish communities. But I think that, but it really, man, at the end of the day, we, I was, I was trying, I was being inspired and trying to do things that I thought were like other artists that I loved, but maybe because I, at the time I didn't know a lot of theory and I didn't really know my way. And I was guessing a, a lot of my way around songwriting. And I mean, even all those songs like Roomba and Nothing's Clear from the first album and Unreal, all those songs. I mean, I was just like guessing riffs, you know, I was like, I, I guess these riffs are going to work good, you know? And um, I don't know, man, I, I can't figure out the evolution of, of music still, you know, it's, a very psychological thing. Where is musical? Where is music going? What do people really like? We kind of got very lucky at the right time. You know, we had some unique ideas back then. I think, and it allowed us to to kind of like carve a little bit of a particular fan base for ourselves. But but it was always amazing that even people that didn't speak Spanish really still liked our band. You know, I thought that that was very endearing, and it speaks a lot about there not really being racism in metal. You know. I mean, maybe in the middle of America, you could see a little bit more, I don't know, a metalhead that might like only Caucasians or something. But I don't know, on the, on the edges of the country, I think that metal is a very open thing, man. And they always take in cultures, no matter who it is. I mean, look, the freaking one of the greatest metal band Slayer that ever lived, you know, they got a couple Latinos in there. May not be talked about, but I mean, these are guys that when I met, we spoke Spanish. We didn't speak English. When I met Tom Ray and Dave Lombardo, we spoke in Spanish. We didn't talk in English. So, you know. It was kind of interesting thinking back to that time frame because it's like, you know, obviously there was, there's always kind of been a handful of bands that kind of make their way through. Like, you know, like you're saying, like Slayer, obviously, maybe not be the most the first band everyone thinks of when they think of that. But, you know, like I remember growing up and it was like, okay, like you have, um, you know, metal has kind of always been not an American thing. Like, you know, growing up, it was like, oh, here's this band Whitesnake. They're from over in Europe. Queen, you know, same thing. You have, you know, all these bands that are that I liked and grew up with, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, like not from here in the States. You didn't have as many bands that were kind of putting their stamp on things that people loved to then when there was kind of what I'll call my metal or whatever when I was growing up. And it's like, you know, there was, you know, Sepultura, then it became Soulfly, there was you guys, there was Puya, then there was Ankla, which more or less same thing. Um mm-hmm. then it's like you And know, even Skindred, even like a group like Skindred or Dub War is like culture metal. You could call it culture metal. But then it's like, you know, you have even other iterations of that kind of thing with, you know, Living Color or um system of a down also uses a lot of culture in their in their metal for sure yeah i mean like there's there's always kind of been this this thing where it's like for as many instances as you can say where metal is kind of a very white uh genre that you can kind of point to a lot of bands that put their stamp on it where it was like but they influenced and did all these other things that were not white um so it was kind of interesting kind of thinking back to that time frame and seeing, you know, a lot of different interesting bands coming through, even like, you know, Third Strike and stuff like that. You know, there was a lot of diversity uh, in in the music scene back then and in hardcore and metal that I don't know if we're really seeing as much. I mean, you kind of already you know, there's Animals as Leaders with a uh, Tosin and Abbasi and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, not necessarily bringing in like like you guys were doing where it was like bringing in, you know, your Latin roots and kind of all these other influences that were not really the norm at the time right right well i mean i think music has its intervals of how much experimentation is allowed you know in any particular genre at one time um i think that that's kind of like 
a cyclical thing, you know, where in the early 90s, it was expected if you were in a band and you were not trying to experiment and find a sound, you knew you definitely weren't going to make it. But but now there are bands who need to want to sound a particular very a particular way because they feel that that's the only way they're going to make it. it. And it's it could feel like it's, you know, somewhat of you're, you're trapping yourself into doing it. But I think, you know, I can't figure out mu the cycle of music, man. I all, I all I know is like what I like. For sure. I know what I like and I know when I hear something, if I'm going to like it or not. Um, but I don't, man, I'm trying to think what other band. Um, well, I mean, definitely like Santana must have been shocking at Woodstock, right? Like seeing Santana back at Woodstock, I guess that might have been, but I guess maybe congas back then were a little bit more accepted. Well, I mean, you had, well, no, that might have been a little bit too before that even. I was say, you had like Sheila E, but that, that was a little bit later. It's um, like one of my favorite stories about Santana. <laughs> And speaks, I think, to why Journeys and the current position that they're in. So Neil Sean was in, and the keyboard player, I don't remember the dude's name, but uh, mm -hmm. they were in Santana. They played Woodstock with Santana. Neil Sean played Woodstock with And him, Neil yeah. Sean tried to convince all of the rest of the band to kick out Santana and continue on as Santana. <laughs> <laughs> and they obviously said no. And uh, That is amazing. Then he, he and the keyboard player started up Journey. Shortly thereafter, I think that is amazing. I I, I mean that could be a hundred percent bullshit, but I remember I think I read that in something that was related to either Santana or Journey or you know just something about how their their careers have kind of paralleled each other at times or interwoven. And I just remember being like the balls to be like, yo, I know I'm in this band and we have the namesake of the band of the guy who's in the band, but let's fucking kick that dude out and just continue on as the entity of Santana when none of us are Santana. <laughs> Well, with Steve Perry, I wonder. It's interesting though, because I think Steve Perry like didn't want to tour or something, or he was like, I, I saw in the Journey story something happened to him, right? He had like a health issue. He uh, he had a real bad accident when he was like uh, hiking or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I heard him do an interview once where he was. They were about to go on a tour. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, that's right. They were about to go on a tour. It was like ninety five or ninety seven, and he uh, he was hiking and had to call an ambulance or something. The ambulance had to come to get him. Oh, shit. Look at you, dog. Oh, damn. You're a Journey fan like that. No shit. That's amazing, bro. Which which, which, which shot is that from, though? Is that from... It was like some live, which... live uh, photo I found on Google search. Like, uh, I have a whole, like, portrait leg sleeve. Like, I have a... Dude, that's awesome. Damn, you're paying tribute to the real fucking... Those are the real motherfuckers, bro, that had the voice, bro. That's the shit I got. And then, you know, they were... And, and they were Fuck, man. They taught everybody else that came after them how to sing. Are you kidding? Yeah. Shit. So, I mean, it's crazy because, like, uh, I got to interview John Five, and one of the things I was really looking forward to talking about, even though I didn't get a whole lot of time up to do it, was uh, once pushing the, the solo record and all that kind of shit. I was like, so, I mean, like, you worked on the new Steve Perry solo record. Like, what was that fucking like? And you've worked with Rod Stewart. Like, what was that like? <laughs> and he was just like, oh, you know, it's Dude, cool. he's so such a badass guitar player. I remember the first time, the first times that we did shows with Rob Zombie. I was shocked because I was used to seeing bands go on stage and get handed an instrument, and when they step off stage, they hand the instrument back, you know. But he fucking goes from the dressing room with his guitar all the way. He'll go in a van where the stage could be two miles away. It doesn't matter. He's strapped the guitar strapped on, and when he leaves the stage, 
He takes his fucking guitar with him too. During our interview, I made the comment about like, you know, I see you always have the guitar on when you're when you're doing interviews and so forth. Like, have you ever happened to just strum something and go, "Oh, that sounds cool," and like have to stop something so you can kind of figure out what you're doing? And as I'm literally because he had been quiet at that point, he goes, "Oh, actually," and then you hear him strumming, and then the rest of the interview, you hear him like fucking with his guitar the whole rest of the time. And I was like, "It's kind of cool," but I kind of wish I hadn't opened that Pandora's box. <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't. I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, because now you think. It's it's okay to just keep playing guitar and i'm like i know you can do that and it doesn't like you're not paying attention to what you're playing probably you're just strumming for the sake of strumming but to me it almost sounds like you know a lot of people probably be like well dude he's not fucking paying attention to you he's like more worried about his guitar but it was just funny i think he does that i think he does that almost like he doesn't even realize that no he doesn't he probably plays non-stop the whole day like that because i i mean i've seen him backstage and it's almost like whoa the dude really is just like and he, even when he's talking he'll be like playing and talking you know and yeah he said that he came up with a riff skill. once when he was like on the shitter he was like oh i was like on the shitter and i was playing and i came up with this riff and i was like oh that's cool and then <laughs> just like recorded it on his phone or whatever and i was just like yep there we go that's that's exactly what i'm talking about like man you know you're freaking addicted to playing guitar when you're freaking playing guitar while you're taking the shit i <laughs> i chickened out i told my co-host i was like when i do this interview because i know john fives lo- loves titty fucking and i was like i'm gonna bring it up and i just couldn't do it because i just didn't know how to bring it up out of all the questions i was asking how do you know he loves titty fucking he talked he about it on the something? josta podcast he was just like they were talking no about shit. titty fucking or whatever and he was like oh dude it's like and then he was like yeah you know i love it blah blah, blah. like it's like my my fetish or whatever and i was just like and then i saw like a photo of his wife or whatever and i was like oh yep, that makes sense but i was gonna bring it up and just be like <laughs> You know, like it's probably one of the few times maybe you're not having your guitar in your hand or whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to trying to come up with something to to make it Imagine funny. John Five Titty fucking while he's playing riffs. Oh yeah, probably plays his guitar like a dick, or probably plays his dick like a guitar. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing, bro. But it's one of those like where that's like what's too far for even me. Like uh, we had Chuck Billy on a while ago to plug his uh weed vaporizers and all that shit if john five hold on if john five made porn he'd definitely be playing his guitar while he's fucking for sure <laughs> he'd probably be non-stop he'd, he'd be like the, the guitar porn guy that's what they- wanking to a whole new level but uh no we ended up having like chuck billy on and we had to talk about his weed vaporizer and it was on the slayer farewell tour that they were on and they were like yeah you know this isn't a slayer tour this isn't a a testament interview it's for this thing and i was like yeah whatever like it's an opportunity and if we do well then maybe we'll get another one and we did just put out our episode with chuck billy so it it all worked out but i remember at the end like my co-host was like dude i'm a big testament fan i really want to talk to chuck about testament shit and i was like yeah you know whatever i was like i was like well here's a stupid joke you should ask him if they're gonna come out with a tasty mint flavor of uh his like weed or whatever and he was like no i'm good and then so i did and i don't either a chuck didn't find it funny and just wasn't even going to give into the fact that it was a joke or didn't understand what i was saying which is probably plausible too well dude testament is an amazing fucking branding idea yeah you know i mean you know i just we're just like fucking over here like kids just bullshitting but it is it is if you think about it testament yeah but like (laughs) Every, a couple people like text me. They're like that tasty mint joke. Uh, fucking went nowhere. That landed so hard. And I was like, Yeah, I know, but I, I had to. I had to throw it in there. Like, I thought it was. That's funny. amazing, dude. When you said you interviewed Chuck Billy, I was gonna be like, Damn, did you interview him recently? Because he had COVID, you know. And I just, I just recently saw. I don't know if you watched 
the new Joe Rogan that just came out with Michael Yo on it? No, I Rogan's like way too like I know we're about halfway through a, a normal Rogan episode, but it's so hard for me to like make it through a Stay Rogan. focused on it. Well, it's yeah, like yeah. three hours. And I love tangents. I mean, we've gone on a handful, and I—I I mean, I don't know how much of this I—I'm—I I'm, sometimes I listen to something like Doc Coils, and it'll be like an hour and a half, two hours, and I'm like, "Fuck, man!" Like that's, but it's enjoyable and it's fun, and you know, I think I also like Doc. Some not necessarily always like Josta. Josta will go on these tangents and then for completely forget where he left off, uh, which is slightly <laughs> annoying because like they're going down a really interesting thing, and then he gets on a side tangent, and then they don't even re- revisit it. Doc is really good at doing a side tangent and then bringing it back. I think. I'm pretty good at doing it where I know where I left off. And then I'll, as we're talking, I'm like, okay, here's how I can bring it back to where we were. So there's a lot of this, like I'll probably keep it as it is because I, I think it makes sense. And we keep referencing back to other things we've talked about. So this is what it is. But Rogan's, it's like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's very loose. For it's sure. so it's loose. loose. They just talk about the topics change way often for sure. But, but, but hold on. But in defense, but in defense to him, in defense to that new episode, they stayed strictly on having had COVID and what he went through having had COVID because he he was COVID positive. He wound up he wound up on a respirator. No, no, wait. He wound up in ICU, but his doctor, his personal doctor, fought to keep him off a respirator. And you know the interview, they pretty much kept it on COVID the whole time. But um, but I don't know if you uh, if you watched if you listen to it, man, it does it does make you go, holy fuck, this guy's healthy and he wound up in an ICU. What the fuck? He's at least one of the first ones to be able to talk about it like this to say, look, this can get somebody because I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't have no pre-existing health conditions, and I wound up in ICU and I almost fucking died. So I thought I thought that was that was a cool one to watch at least, you know. I think for me the the problem sort of is is like my wife works for a pharmaceutical company and right now like we just took our puppy for a walk and she was like yeah so we have two companies that are both trying to make the vaccine and they're going through us to to do it so they can try to get going on it um my mom works at a hot like one of the bigger hospitals down in kalamazoo um and my dad works for a medical like uh medical facility like makes like tray tables for hospital beds and stuff like that so so you hear all the inside talk for sure so i'm kind of over it uh, to a degree, by yeah. the by the time like everyone's spouting off on bullshit, it's like, well, I've heard from my wife who's basically on the front lines of trying to f- make a vaccine and dealing with the companies who are trying to do that and and hearing those stories to then hearing how it's affecting the hospitals that like my mom works at, even though she's more on the administrative side of things, but still, uh, and with her having MS, like she can't go to work because she's immunocompromised. To then my dad who works in more of the uh the commercial side of the medical field. And so it's like between all of those, it's just like it's so overwhelming that it's like when people want to talk about it, like, yeah, I'm, I'm. They're all having done. to deal with it, damn. So everyone in your family is having to deal with this shit, then, and having to work in fields dealing with it. That's crazy, man. I, my sister works at a hospital. She's an administrator at Englewood Hospital in New Jersey, but she's like the only one on the inside, like that. You know, everybody else in the family is like what the fuck is this? What is going on? You know? I mean, like, I know like a a friend of my mother's had gotten it and she wound up at the hospital, but she wasn't affected as bad as this Michael Yo guy was. I don't, I don't even know who the hell Michael Yo was, dude. The only reason I listened to it is because I was like, Oh, this, it says that this guy had COVID and almost died. I got to hear what he's, what he said. The experience was like, 
but to but, but to go back to what I was saying, I didn't bring him up just to bring him up, but because you interviewed Chuck Billy, who knows what he went through? Because I know that he didn't speak much about it. He wasn't like very vocal while he was in that. I know that Tiffany once in a while would like go online and be like, we're doing okay. We're trying to get through it. It's not easy, you know, but I don't think they were very vocal. They kept it very private. And I'm just curious to really know. I mean, I know Chuck and I know Tiffany. I'm curious to know what they went through. You know, just. Yeah, they're not really talking about it. And we were told pretty explicitly in the email, like, don't really talk about it. Um, okay. But I, I know my co because it was like kind of the reward for doing the, the weed one. Uh, I gave my co-host that one. And he was just like, you know, started off like was like the guy was like Bill Chuck was like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, good. But I guess I should be asking, how are you doing? And he was like, oh, you know, doing better now. And da 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 da. And it was like a quick, you know, cursory yeah, glance yeah, kind yeah. of at like, you know, everything he's already been saying and all the news that has been made about it. But it was, he seems to be in rather high spirits. But then, you know, like a day or two after we posted our episode, you see the thing where he's, you know, saying that the dudes from Death Angel or whatever should have said something to them if they thought they had it. And, you know, that this could have all been prevented from everyone else getting it and this, that, and the other. And you're just like, well, I'll put it this way they were all on the same tour together. There's, when you're on a tour like that, man, and it's, it's no longer about the band members, like staying far from each other like if you have something don't go in and be like coughing on the singer from the other band that that totally okay that's understandable but it the crew guys the things you touch on the stage the rugs every dude everything it's impossible when you're on a tour like that one person gets sick and forget about it i remember in europe 2017 we were on this bus it was a decent bus and Double as soon as right? one per yeah, but as soon as one person got sick and everybody else started getting sick, dude, it we just it was like this bus is the black death. It's it just like, you know, it just puts a bad taste in your mouth where you're like, God damn it, man, there's some bad bugs out here. But I think on tour, everybody gets sick. If one person gets it, everybody's going to get it. What Will went through is fucked up, man, because he was on a ventilator. And from what I'm hearing... 80% of people on the ventilators are dying, so he's lucky. He's really just like the 20%. He's in the few 20% that made it. I'm even having to hear people. Today I heard on the radio somebody had to have a leg amputated. I mean, how the fuck is this thing affecting people so differently? It's crazy, dude. It's crazy. It's crazy. You you know, you know probably know more about it than me because you got to hear it from your family, but in my mind, I'm still like, what the fuck is going on? It's like I was thinking about... Uh... Ozfest 07 when I went, I had a friend that actually was TMing and teching for Ankla. And uh, the singer from Three Inches of Blood, we were hanging out, and that dude got me so sick. Like, <laughs> we were talking and we're, we're sharing booze because, like, you know, the thing I was trying to be nice. And I, I think, like, my friend and I spent, like, almost $400 on alcohol, and we brought it to, like, share basically dude you he probably got the whole bar sick well, well no this is like just out in the parking lot and like i remember oh, okay okay we're okay. sitting back backstage or like in the parking area and this dude's like talking and he's like yeah so like the tour pretty much the whole tour got sick and he was like so like so and so i think it was like willie from lamb of god was hanging out with our dudes and like he had something and then like our dude got something and then like they were hanging out with the behemoth guys and the behemoth guys had a different like sickness going on and then he's like, so I've got that, like a, an amalgamation of all three sicknesses that were going around. And then like two days later, I got fucking walloped with all of it. And it like put me, it put me down. And I was just like, dude, if this is like, like, I couldn't imagine trying to then go tour 
and perform and be well that's 2000 that that 2017 one bro let me tell you and it's not just me saying this it's everybody that was on that bus the families of the people that were (laughs) on that bus when they got it when they got home and everybody had the same thing to say which was like this is the worst fucking flu or whatever it was that i've ever gotten in my whole life what if it It was COVID-17 Well, somebody had said at one time recently, you know, I was talking, bullshitting with somebody and I was like, you know why I believe that this shit is serious? Because in 2017, the whole fucking bus got sick and this shit was like some next level shit. It only lasted like three or four days. But during those three or four days, forget about it. You were done. We didn't cancel any shows or nothing like that, but it was very complicated to get through it. Let's just say that. But everybody got sick, dude. So that's why I know that something like this could occur. How did it occur? Who the fuck knows? I don't really know. But I I just know that, yeah, some people are apparently getting sick. In 2017, bro, it was like, what the fuck is this? And then recently somebody was like, maybe it was one of the other strains of coronavirus. And I I don't know. Because I know there's like eight of them. But apparently some of them are out there already and have been out there. And it could have been, you know. And, And I remember like bullshitting with my friend that was a conspiracy theorist and thinking that this was let out. And I was like, look, dude, the CIA wasn't going to El Nino shows to fucking let out whatever they <laughs> we all caught in 2017 on the bus, bro. And the funny thing is that all the meet and greets I heard from fans like two months afterwards, like, hey, remember when you guys were talking about being sick at the meet and greet? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, now we know. Maybe sometimes when you get sick, you have to take better precautions, especially if something is going to be bad. But, you know, from from a musician point of view, you just go out there and just fucking you don't even think about it. At least you try not to or else you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. As a singer, I try to always like keep my hands clean and not shake hands with too many people without then washing my hands. But even that sometimes makes you feel like an asshole, you know, because then, you know, people look at you like, oh, you're going to wash your hands. But it's like. I'm a singer. I don't want to get sick, you know? I don't, I don't know. I got to fucking worry about 35 more shows in a row. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I think the thing everyone forgets is it's it's their night with you. Like, and I... Having a lot of friends who tour, the thing, you know, like, I went and saw a friend that was on a Pennywise Rancid tour, and he was TMing and doing... I think I don't remember if he was TMing and doing merch or just one or the other, but I basically had, like, it, you know, it's funny, I went and someone's like, oh, you got an all-access pass? They're like, did you go hang out with the bands? I was like, no, I stayed in the lobby with my friend the whole time. They're like, the whole show. And I was like, yeah, I drove... And they're like, you drove almost three hours to go hang out with your friend in a lobby. And I was like, yep. <laughs> and they're like, and then, then what? I was like, then I turned around and went home. And then went to work the next day. They're like, why did you do that? I was like... Because I don't get to see him all that often. Yeah, it's a good hang, man. But it know? was like one of those things where like, I don't think people understand that it's... And I've gotten better at this where it's like, I know like my time to see somebody and hang out with them is, is kind of finite. But I would still rather have that, ex- have that time with them than to not have that time with them. And it's one of those things like I also realize like you see some people who it's like that's their one night and they're they're fucking wilding out like I've seen the punishers that like the friend of the friend, you know, is just punishing dudes. And... <laughs> It's it's funny to like know that I've definitely have been that person to a lot of people, but like now I'm just like yo like let them have their moment and it's like the thing eventually hopefully that they understand is like I know like this is your night with them but like they got like forty more and then like a, a couple of days off and then they fly overseas for like two months like this is their every day dude like 
calm down a little bit. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I love spending time with the fans. I just feel like an asshole. Like, if they catch me washing my hands after I shake a bunch of hands, you know, I'm like, fuck, they're going to think that I'm an Not asshole anymore. and I think they Not have anymore. something or something. <laughs> right, now I'm justified. Now I'm like, see? I needed to wash my hands the whole time. <laughs> just your hand sanitizer? <laughs> Giant bottle of, like, lube and just... Just freaking like the hand sanitizer, like a wear a helmet with hand sanitizer bottles on the side. And These then used just to be bottles of Jack Daniels. Now they're hand sanitizer. <laughs> now they're hand sanitizer. <laughs> well, um, I have to get going and uh, hang out with my wife, which is not a bad thing. Right. Well, my phone might die on your ass, yeah, so I should probably get going. But uh, to wrap it up officially, where can everyone find you and or um, – well, the album hasn't been officially announced or anything like that, so I guess we can't really plug the album per se, but where can everyone find you? And I guess just you. There is no band technically to follow. No, no. Just, you know, a bunch of friends that were on the project. But you could find me in Twitter or Instagram at Latin Metal. And on YouTube. Not anymore. On YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Not <Latin> anymore. <laughs> sure, sure. For sure. Latin folk. Uh, which I do got to change that, you know. The, some friends and my friend Matt from Machine Head has been on my ass. He's like, dude, you can't keep Latin metal forever. How are people going to find you? You got to have something that says your name on there. And I'm like, fuck, you're probably right, bro. <laughs> you know, but uh, I got to eventually change it. But at Twitter and, and Instagram, it's at Latin Metal. And then on Facebook, it's Christian Machado. It'll probably be one of the first pages that comes up. And um, and that's it. My album will come out in September. You could pre-order it if you go to shop.bandware.com and then just type Christian Machado into the search box. My uh, store will come up and you could pre-order the album. It comes with an instant download of the single. And, um, and the album will come out in September. Hopefully I get another single out there before the album comes out because the way the times are right now, as much visibility as you could have before a release, I think it's really important. Um, yeah, and just, you know, find me. If you just type Christian Machado into any streaming website, the single at least will come up. And then you could kind of go from there. You could pre-order or save the album on the streaming sites, too. Can't wait to see your quarantine video. <laughs> oh, man. I'm actually lucky, dude. I mean, look, I live, you know, I live in a nice area and you know we could go outside walking we could go outside walking i almost wonder how far away you live from uh nathan ivy from uh finch oh i don't know where where's he at temecula oh okay then temecula is only like freaking i don't know 20 20 mile radius maybe yeah he, he could only live 15 20 minutes from here <laughs> that's as far as temecula will go but over over here we've been lucky man we've been lucky over here not here in Michigan. We make the news for being stupid. Fuck, man. It hasn't been easy in L.A. either. But uh, over here, I mean, they're not being too strict on people. They're just, as long as you got a mask on when you go outside, they're not telling you you can't be outside or near other people, you know. But we'll see how it goes. Fuck, I don't know. For all I know, they're fucking lining up at the hospital right now, and I just haven't heard about it. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to uh, do something maybe a little closer to the album coming out, talk a little bit more about the full record, um, You know, maybe do a, sure, a, a sure. companion piece where you talk more about some of the other songs on it, uh, the Life of Agony sure, we didn't sure, talk sure. about and touch on, but uh, fun having you on finally. So that was my conversation with Christian Machado. I want to thank him for taking such a, a long time. And then you know, <laughs> the irony is I kind of felt really bad because like, as you sort of heard at the very end of the interview there, we're basically setting up doing the Instagram Live, which you'll end up hearing the audio for uh, here pretty soon anyway. But we ended up doing like the hour and a half ish here talk for like another probably 20 30 minutes off you know record and then 
set up an Instagram live thing like a week later and then talk for another two hours. So it was like in a span of a week, I probably have almost four hours of like recorded conversations with, you know, Christian. And yeah, they're just kind of all over the place. Like I, I, we've actually been trying to get him to come on to do one of these live things because it'd just be so easy just to bullshit with him. Um, yeah, but uh, it's been a little tough getting a hold of some people. There were definitely times where I was like, man, I want to just jump in here. You know? But, uh, you know, I was probably working or something equally as useless. <laughs> uh, possibly. I, uh, you know what? But I put in a good word for you. So while you weren't there in person, you were there in spirit. And it sounds like, uh, you know, the Christian might be down to do either a discuss metal or a, uh, a discography discussion. So hopefully uh, that'll pan out for you in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to. uh I'll have to reach out. I I was excited to see how much he was willing to talk to kind of open up about Il Nino, you know, current situation notwithstanding. You know, like, that's that's just something that doesn't really need to be talked about anyway. Right. You know, it, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say highly publicized, but everybody kind of knows. So, uh, but it is, it is cool. Um, it is cool to see how, you know, he's like totally still all about it and um, encouraging. And I haven't heard the new record yet, but... Um, I need to listen to it uh, ba- just based on your recommendation because honestly, um, based on the press release, I didn't want to check it out. Uh, but after you guys kind of started getting into the song meanings and, and, and sort of stuff, the creative process and all that, um, it's definitely seems a lot more interesting to me. It was the Terminator talk that got you wanting to hear I wasn't it. it, it you know, the Terminator talk was really, 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 um, God, it was very John. I, I was rolling my <laughs> eyes like the whole time because I was just like, Okay, dude. We're like, where are you going with this? And then, I mean, you 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 definitely explained your mindset. I'm not sure if I'm a hundred percent on board with it, but uh, it was definitely a very very good picture. <laughs> but I mean, I I just want to like, it, you know, if I end up buying a physical copy of the record, I definitely want to just print out like Terminator and just use that as the cover. <laughs> Well, Get my own vinyl version. Yes, with a, uh, I don't know. I, I I was trying to think of something cool we could stick inside the vinyl, but I don't know. My my ideas are tapped uh, out. I was thinking like a crushed, I was Yeah, I guess that would work. I was going to say maybe like a, a crushed skull fragments inside of it or something like from the beginning of the first Terminator. I guess even the second one starts off that way too, doesn't it? With the uh, the Terminator crushing the, the skull and then, you know, wide shot. And then all the like the planes and or not planes, whatever they are in the future, uh, yeah, shooting everything. Yeah, I mean, I think if Black Dahlia Murder can uh, can put slime in a in a record in an LP, then you know we could we could put something really cool in an LP. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's kind of start wrapping up this episode since this one was so long. Don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, if you would like to keep up with Christian, it's simple enough. You can go on Facebook at Christian Machado, Instagram the Real Christian Machado, and Twitter at the Real C Machado, or just head to ChristianMachado.com. All of this is in the show notes. You you should know by now we are over 250 episodes so you know where to find things uh if you would like to keep up with dan again i mean they're in the show notes but he'll tell you again where he can be found yeah yeah uh, i can be found on facebook under daniel terry it's a very creative name i came up for my came up with for myself on that uh but you know uh you can also find me on twitter at discuss metal dan you can send me an email discuss metal dan at gmail.com you can check out my other 400 podcasts uh over at discuss metal.com uh and you can also find me on twitch under discuss metal dan i stream two times a week uh usually around 10 30 at night which is kind of late i know but it's 
kind of the only it's it's Dan time, so I'm sharing it all with you. And that's on uh, Mondays and on Thursdays. So uh, if you want to see me get totally destroyed in video games, that that would be a good way to do it. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, it's very simple: BruceSpeakPod.com. That is the landing page for everything. Anything you could possibly want to know or find about the podcast will be there. Feel a burp coming on? Nope. Okay. There it is. This is real life, folks. It's a real motherfucking deal, y'all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not feeling those lighters. Uh, you know. And uh, if you would like to keep up with our sponsors, uh, you can simply go to... Or simply go to... How about we start that over? <clears throat> and if you would like to support our show sponsor, you can head over to rockabilia.com. They have over 500,000 items in their online store, 100% officially licensed through the band. So not only when you buy something, are you supporting the bands, but, you know, it's a quality product and you already know that it's not going to rip or fade away after one wash or any of that kind of shit like you would get on something on eBay from a less reputable uh, source. And uh, to even sweeten the deal, if you use our code BREW15, you're going to get 15% off your total purchase order. So head on over to rockabilly.com. Let them know that we're sending you. Support them for supporting us. On point pomade keep your hair and beard looking on point use our code bsp15 and get 15 percent off your total purchase order again we're saving you money we're putting clothes on your back we're making you look good to the opposite sex or the same sex if that's how you float i don't care that's how good the on point pomade is it's good for everybody you'll be a trip dan who's stroking his beard right now if he had some on point pomade in there some beard oil i'd probably be all over him i couldn't resist yeah my hands my hands would, would be very uh very oily, I, I, I would think. Who knows? And uh, last but not least is, uh, <clears throat> and last but not least is, shit, I keep looking at the on-point pomade in my hand. So I'll put that down. And last but not least is uh, the Bean Bastard. Uh, head on over to thebeanbastard.com and get you some delicious coffee. If you live in the Buffalo, New York area, they have a brick and mortar. I believe it's open now. Safe distancing applies. But uh, you can go get some delicious coffee straight from the source. Uh, and I believe they're still doing their uh, Bastard Mobile thing where they're doing deliveries and, and kind of doing a food truck kind of thing with it. And, uh, yeah, want to thank them for supporting us. Thank everybody for supporting us. And uh, before we get out of here, we're still doing the contest. If you listen to the uh, the, the Facebook Live thing that we uh, posted with uh, Ross from Enjoy the Ride Records, we're still giving away the Wawa gift card. It's a $25 gift card. Basically, probably most of a free tank of gas, if not a whole tank of gas. Um, Don't tell Kirk Hammett you're giving away, you're giving away uh, Wawa. <laughs> oh, shit. And... Uh, but yeah, so we're doing the contest. We're looking to get to uh, 300 subscribers on our YouTube channel. So head on over to YouTube. Let us know uh, your username when you subscribe. Uh, basically, I think the last time I checked, we were about 28 uh, followers, subscribers, whatever, away. Uh, when we hit that number, I'm going to put those names into a random generator and pick one to win. Uh, so not only will you win this $25 gift card, but you will also win a 10% off uh, at the Enjoy the Ride Records uh, website on a vinyl purchase. Uh, so thanks to Ross at Enjoy the Ride Records. And uh, help me give this away. I want I want to give you guys uh, something cool and free and different. Uh, that's kind of been the fun thing that we've been doing lately. So uh, do that. And uh, again, like I said, whatever you platform you're going to comment on, there's a photo. Uh, just let us know what your username is so we can uh, mark it down accordingly. And uh, for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. We will talk to you all next time. And join us on Wednesday as we talk to Christian Machado for our Facebook Live series. Join in, ask him questions. Uh, it'll be a couple of days before the record comes out. As of uh, that day of when we're recording, we're also going to put out our Instagram Live chat with him from a few months ago as well. So basically, we are in full-on Machado week. So again, for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I'm John, and we will talk to you guys next time.